Welcome to the conversation on the TYT network. Uh, I now am joined by a reporter so good that Elon Musk has called him Clip Einstein. Wow. Ken Klippenstein, formerly of the Iron Turks, now the nation's DC correspondent, joins us uh, to find out why Elon Musk paid him such a high compliment. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I'm going to come back from that, being uh, compared yeah. to one of the greatest uh, physicists of, of uh, all time. Literally, the guy considered to be the smartest person that ever lived. Um, so yes, Elon Musk did actually mean that as an insult. Why? We're still not sure. Uh, but let's get into it. Let's figure out uh, how you guys got into this fight in the first place. Let's be honest, you started it. Uh, so Ken, <laughs> what did you do? Uh, to get under Elon Musk's skin. Well, Ghislaine Maxwell, uh, who of course uh, is said to have been the uh, madame uh, for Jeffrey Epstein, who himself was uh, convicted of uh, trafficking underage girls and trying to you know, bring them into a prostitution ring. Um, it, she, of course, was indicted by the FBI, arrested by the FBI. And um, you know, I had seen this picture of her uh, posing next to uh, Elon Musk, and you know, I thought that was newsworthy uh, and indicative, not just of you know Musk's relationship with her, but uh, or Musk's association with her. I should say we don't know the nature of their relationship, but uh, that same type of uh, association enjoyed by all sorts of different uh, billionaires, extremely powerful people, um, movers and shakers, uh, which you know I think at the very least says they're willing to tolerate people like that in their midst. So I tweeted it out and said, you know, it'd be interesting if people <laughs> sent this to Musk so we can try to get some kind of response from him because unsurprisingly, he has been pretty quiet on uh, the whole matter. And uh, it was amazing. So many people were sending it to him that you could just scroll through his replies. And it was just that photo after that photo again and again and again. And I guess uh, that got to him because uh, he, you know, this culminated in him responding to me as you just said, calling me Cliff Einstein. Um, and actually, it didn't take any offense to that. Uh, I took more offense to the meme he would send later, which was a very phoned in, uh, it was the it was uh, Ralph Wiggum from The Simpsons, and it's the old joke. Oh, there it is now. He's saying uh, in the show, in the in the cartoon show, he's saying uh, I'm a, I'm helping, but you know uh, they edited it to say I'm a journalist, and it's the worst Photoshop job I've ever seen. I expect better of a billionaire and someone who has the resources that he does. And not just that, he didn't even make the meme himself. He took this, he stole this from one of his supporter, from one of his loyal supporters who had sent that. So I was just offended by. Uh, that sort of lackluster. I expect better bullying from a uh, multi-billionaire like that, frankly. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, if you uh, can create SpaceX and Tesla, you should know your way around a meme. Um, so, uh, and and by the way, Gisley Maxwell uh, now being held in custody, uh, obviously uh, considering suicide as we speak, and the uh, guards are planning to take a break as we speak. And the video cameras are planning not to work as we speak. Uh, but that maybe is an investigative report for another day. Knock on wood, hope it doesn't happen. Uh, but uh, how back to Elon Musk. So do we know the context of that uh, picture that he took with Maxwell uh, at all? He claims it's a photo bomb. You know, I, I know what a photo bomb is, but I don't know what he means by that in that context. So he's saying she just kind of jumped up behind him and said, you know, here we are, take the take the picture. And I don't think that's plausible for a number of reasons. Now, of course, that's technically possible. You know, that could be what happened, but that wasn't the only association he had with Epstein World. So prior to this, uh, he and his now ex-wife had attended a uh, party held by the billionaire. He had attended um, another event along with several other billionaires 
of, of Epstein's. The New York Times, in addition to all of this, uh, recently reported that Epstein had told them when he was still alive uh, that he was advising Elon Musk's company. Now, you know, I should note Musk has Musk disputes this. He says that's not true, as you know, one would expect him to do. Uh, but these associations go far beyond just that one photo. It's very misleading to say. I think it's a straw man to say, oh, you're taking one photo and saying that, you know, um, this means that I have some uh, deep connection with them. I'm not saying the one photo is. I'm saying the photo is a sort of visual representation of uh, uh, this kind of overlap between these worlds. Not just on the part of Elon Musk, but on the part of high society generally, who very clearly was willing at the very least to tolerate these types of individuals in their midst. And I want to stress all of these associations happened after uh, Epstein had been uh, uh, prosecuted for uh, you know, trafficking minors. So he can't say, oh, I just, you know, uh, how was I supposed to know about this? I find it very hard to believe that people in high society who, you know, gossip and talk and worry a lot about um, you know their public image in in ways that uh, ordinary people you know don't or don't have to. Um, so I find that all hard to believe. And additional that his brother, um, it was reported by Business Insider, had been set up with a girlfriend by Jeffrey Epstein. So it's not just Epstein himself; it's associates, family members. Again, I'm not saying he's the same as Jeffrey Epstein. You know, I'm just saying that there clearly was associations that um, succeeded that came after uh, Epstein's. Uh, sentencing and you know widely reported uh, role in these terrible things that he did, and I thought it was newsworthy to talk about why why is this accepted and, and tolerated in the highest echelons of society. Yeah, so that's that's interesting. So first off, I, I want to say um, that because you enter an Epstein party doesn't mean that you did what uh, some folks did at Epstein parties, right? Um, and 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 from my understanding of the reporting, they usually didn't do it at the parties. They usually did it behind closed doors at other times. So I'm sure a lot of women went to Epstein parties that had nothing to do with what Epstein had done. We know that Trump went to Epstein parties. We know Clinton went to Epstein parties. So, um, so it doesn't mean that they're all guilty. Um, and so I don't just say that because they get touchy about it. I say it because it's really true. I'm sure a lot of people went to those parties that had nothing to do with uh, the crazy stuff that happened. But Ken, you know, it's interesting. I, off air, somebody was telling me about these high society sex parties that I thought were kind of a fiction. I thought they were, you know, eyes wide shut kind of nonsense. Is that real? I couldn't believe that it was real. It turns out, no, it's real. There's definitely, apparently, sex parties specifically for the rich. And then you, when you see Epstein in that context, you begin to realize, oh, that's a niche within high society sex parties. Is oh that you like young underage girls? Oh, you should go to Epstein, right? And so, on the one hand, we have the pizza guys who are nuts and who think that Tom Hanks controls the world along with Bill Gates and Dr. Fauci and it created coronavirus so they could be child molesters or whatever insane thing that they think, right? On the other hand, it turns out there was a group of elites that molested kids. So, what's your sense here? And I know it's such a broad question, but like. And it's so hard to tell, but how big was it? Like, I mean, Epstein winds up dead in the most curious way imaginable. I mean, that's a hell of a thing for the video cameras on that hallway not to work. So how big do we think this thing is? Well, I know a lot of folks in law enforcement um, and specific to his death, you know, we have, and you've reported on this too, Jank, we have, we have conditions in prisons that are unimaginable. Um, you know, that being said, it's hard to imagine that someone like Epstein is not gonna get you know, some sort of special treatment, if only for 
the fact that the warden doesn't want to get in trouble, which ended up happening. I think the prison warden ended up getting fired after um, this. They see a very, you know, uh, sort of VIP type figure come come in here. But the conditions are very bad in prisons. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's, um, you know, implausible that that he may have been able to kill himself and 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 you know just the uh, kind of procedural checks weren't in place to keep an eye on him because these you know these prisons are a disaster. Um, that being said. Um, you're 100% right that um, in the reports that I mentioned before, and uh, there are plenty of other reports now because thank God for the uh, Me Too movement, kind of shedding a light on these things that had happened quietly, but that ordinary people, uh, you know, who aren't going to uh, billionaire ga- uh, galas or fundraisers and things, um, might might not know about. But what what you find is they there's a tendency uh, to tolerate in your presence uh, people that you probably really shouldn't. Um, perhaps for expediency, I I you know if you ask me to guess, I would guess. Musk is, you know, uh, doing what a lot of other billionaires do, uh, which is being an operator, going and and getting the FaceTime with the kinds of people that are going to keep your company afloat with credit and uh, things of that sort. And that, uh, you know, I would speculate that, um, you know, there there are probably um, advantages to attending uh, these these sorts of parties. I'm not necessarily talking about the sex parties, just the you know functions themselves. But I think it's great that there is this uh, blow up around this. You know, Musk is going to say, of course. You know, this is guilt by association. I'm not saying that he's guilty of any crime. I'm just saying that, um, you know, if there's anything he was guilty of, it was uh, tolerating the risk and, and in fact, that you know, factuality that that he was around some of these people. Um, and so now there's going to be a social cost to that, and I don't think that's such a bad thing. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. So let's talk about Musk for a second. Uh, we do another show called Old School where we uh, goof around a lot more, and we ran a poll called Elon Musk. Yes or no? Okay, that was a whole poll, uh, and this was before uh, you and him uh, beefed on Twitter. Uh, and so you can go to tyt.com/polls to vote if you want. We'll put the link in the description box if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook. But uh, Ken, um, putting aside this particular picture, and again, we'd have no idea if that means anything. Uh, or it means absolutely nothing. And I understand why he'd be upset about it. We get that he's terrible at memes and calling you Cliff Einstein is like nothing but a compliment. It makes no sense. And he's a super strange dude. And and he thought and he another compliment he gave you was he thought it was like hundreds of bots that had attacked him when it was just your followers. Uh, so <laughs> congrats on having that many followers. But <laughs> but last thing here, and I know this one's too broad too, but What's the deal with Elon Musk? <laughs> yes or no? It was seriously like he's an enigma. He Tesla is creating electric cars, which is great for the environment, but then he says he's going to support Kanye West for president, and he says coronavirus is not that big a deal. Who is this guy? Well, he's a bit of a spiritual figure to many of his supporters. Um, you know, who am I heard from? And we're very outspoken, not just on Twitter, but you know, I got text messages, voicemails from all sorts of people. I sort of realized. That I'm not joking when I say this. He is sort of like a megachurch pastor for like Reddit atheists or something. Like in the sense that he is offering to them something that's very real, a a a sense that something is being done about the climate, which I can understand why people would be you know afraid of that. That is very concerning. However, I don't see you know, and it's great that you know businesses are going to provide you know consumer services that are you know more eco friendly, but the problem with this is the same problem in my view with with a lot of Solutions to climate that are based on consumption, which is that they're more expensive. These cars cost what eighty thousand dollars. That is not a uh, practical, a uh, you know, option for the vast majority 
of Americans. Um, so uh, you know that that critique of his uh, business uh, being you know being what it is. A lot of his supporters say, uh, and you know they expressed to me, and I'm sympathetic to this. They said, "Look, he's actually doing something about this climate stuff. Like, uh, shouldn't we be sympathetic to that?" And I would say I would be sympathetic to some form of collective action on the part of the you know government uh, who really has the um, sort of resources to address this on something uh, beyond the sort of I think microcosmic scale that a that a discrete business um, could. But again, he commands this cult of personality that I think is almost uh, concerning because um, you know when you when you see him speak to get people uninitiated like us, we recognize this as very odd behavior to be to put it kindly. Um, but I wonder if part of this is kind of what we were talking about before. Um, you know, extraordinarily rich people tend to be isolated from other people because you're spending so much time um, sort of maintaining and uh, trying to preserve your wealth that you become cut off from uh, ordinary people, and then you start to go a little nuts. Right? And he's not the only billionaire that has these very eccentric, uh, you know, views on things or uh, does, you know, has 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 weird meltdowns on on. On, on Twitter, uh, you know, this may just be ordinary people getting a glimpse into the life of how the ultra rich uh, live and being sort of shocked at how different it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the other hand, I like eccentric, so my jury's still out. Um, uh, so, by the way, apparently, so is the auditor's audience because seventy percent voted no, but thirty percent voted yes on Elon Musk. So we'll see how the poll comes out after this latest dust up. But Cliff Einstein, we appreciate you joining us on the Young Turks. Great to be with you, Jack. All right, back on the conversation on TYT. We got another great guest for you guys. Simona Grace is the founder of Moms in Office. She's appropriately also been selected as Mom of the Year in California. Simona, welcome to the Young Turks. Thank you for having me. Uh, no problem. All right, so first uh, let's talk about the scope of the problem, then we'll uh, go to the solution, which is uh, what you started. Uh, so um, what percentage of Congress, for example, is women right now? Women are about close to 24% right now in the current Congress. However, very few of them have children under 18. And what percentage is that, Simone? It's about 5%, so less than 5% of Congress are women with children under 18. Okay, yes, that is a small percentage. I'm going to guess that the percentage of women with children under 18 is higher for the general population. Yes. <laughs> Much higher. Um, so um, I, this is semi obvious, but why do you think that is? Why do I think that the percentage of women who are raising children today is higher? I think there's a very good statistic that we can compare this to, which is about 80% of women in America by the age of 44 become mothers. So that's a really huge contrast between women in Congress, about 25 women, less than 5%, who are currently raising children under 18. Yeah, and so what is it that's preventing those mothers from being able to get in practice? You know, I think it's a complex situation. I think we can start with cultural bias. I think women who are running for office are 
already in a tough position convincing voters and convincing donors that they should be the ones elected because Congress does not look like us. And when it comes to mothers, it's especially difficult because voters and donors constantly question women with children, whether they can balance their responsibilities as a Congresswoman with the responsibilities of being a mother. So number one thing that's very difficult for women who are raising children, it's the fundraising. Yeah, so I remember the situation with Wendy Davis in Texas, where she had gone and I think gotten a degree from Harvard Law School while she had kids. And then she got attacked by the Republicans saying, how dare you go get an education while you've got kids. But Simona, I never hear that complaint of men who went to Harvard Law School. No one yes. ever asks, did you have kids at the time? What did you do with your kids? So there's just this enormous double standard, isn't there? That is correct. And I think especially in politics, we all know the images of congressmen, senators, or even presidents running for our presidential candidates running for office, taking photos with a child. And whenever you see a man politician posing for a photo with a child, it's all of a sudden more personable and relatable. But when you see the same thing with a woman, it's something that we're not accustomed to seeing. We have to normalize these images of women in politics also being able to be raising children, also having the ability to raise children and run for office at the same time and serve the United States. Yeah, another phenomenon that's a significant problem is if you're a normal person who isn't very wealthy, it's awfully hard to have enough money to run for office, not just because of the money you gotta raise, but how do you support yourself as you run for office full time? And then if you add on top of it being a mom and then you add on top of it, someone like Katie Porter is a single mother of three kids. My God, that's near impossible. How did she do that? Yes, I think that's a huge problem that people with working class backgrounds, people of color, women who are raising children have a much harder time running for office because most of most of the people who are running for office, let's just face it, they're independently wealthy. So, and I think a lot of people don't know this, that running for Congress is a full-time job. So if you decide to run for Congress as a mother, especially a single mother, I'm a single mother myself, you have to think about losing your health insurance because health insurance in this country is guaranteed guaranteed through your employment. How are you going to pay your bills as a woman who's running for office if you don't have a job? Katie Porter by far was the most qualified candidate to win that seat and she still is. And I've experienced firsthand in 2018 the difficulties that she had raising money. She had to work twice as hard to raise half the amount of the counterparts who maybe are male and Republican. So it is a real situation and it's a real problem for women, for mothers, and also for the general population of the United States who can afford to run for office. Yeah, absolutely. And I know a woman who ran for office and we talked about it on the show before, Allison Hartson ran for Senate in California. and. It's a full-time job, and she had to let go of her job. You know, used up all of her savings and didn't have insurance. It's just near impossible. So, and by the way, for people who then discriminate against them on top of that, are you nuts? That like that means they're superwomen. <laughs> you should be 
You should be like over the top in, in voting for them and supporting them because if they could handle all that, they can handle anything. You um, would think that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm a, a married father of two and I already find it impossible. <laughs> I mean, let alone if I was a single dad with three kids, I don't know how I'd get anything done, let alone run for Congress. Um, so. How, how does Moms in Office uh, help them, Simona? So Moms in Office is a political action committee I founded at the end of 2018. And Katie Porter was a big inspiration for me. I was involved um, in an organization here in Los Angeles called Working Hero. And Working Hero was supporting Katie Porter. And at this time I realized that she will be the only single mom in Congress if she wins. And she is until this day the only singer mom. At that time, I also started looking into political action committees who support moms, and there were no political action committees in the country supporting moms. So we have a few established line organizations that support women, democratic women, pro-choice women, but it's very, very difficult for candidates to get funding through these establishment aligned organizations because before they even speak to them, they have to raise about $300,000 from their personal network. So I wanted to remove these barriers. I wanted to remove the challenges that prevent so many women from becoming the policymakers we need today. So I founded Moms in Office as a single working mom here in Los Angeles. And I said, you know what, if nobody's doing it, then I have to do it. And fast forward now to 2020, we grew into a coalition of moms in politics across the country. Our executive director ran for Congress against Dan Crenshaw in Texas. She's wonderful. I have somebody who challenged Kevin McCarthy in 2018, who's on our board. Women across the country who are not putting their weight behind these moms who are currently on the campaign trail. That's wonderful. You said something about $300,000. Say that again, because I think it's really interesting. <laughs> yes, um, a lot of political action committees, we all know about them. They have done a lot of great things for women, but let's just face it, they do not help working class women. They do not help moms. They don't help the women who have not raised $300,000 from their personal network. So once you call an organization like that, they say, let me look at your fundraising. Let me see where you are. Let me look at your district and see how winnable it is. And if the women have not raised the amount of funds that they require, they do not help them. Guys, I want you to just sit back and, and uh, let that sink in. Uh, this is, it affects women. Uh, potentially more, and that's why Simona's organization is so important. But it, it but it applies to all of us. Do, do any of you out there have three hundred thousand dollars you could raise from your network? I'm sure some of you do, but I'm sure a ton of you do not. That's it. You're eliminated in a so-called democracy. Nobody will even entertain you. Even progressive groups, even groups that are meant to to uh, to help the group that you're a part of, etc. Nope, if you're not wealthy enough to know people that can give you $300,000, you got almost no chance of becoming a congressperson. That's insane. That's part of why we have to get money out of politics. But until we do that, we need moms in office. So first of all, Simona, how can people help? People can go to our website. It's momsinoffice.org and click donate. Most of our fundraising comes from grassroots supporters, small dollar donations from all across the country. And I'm very proud to say that our organization also commits to give 
close to all of the funds we raised directly to candidates because everyone who everyone who's involved in moms in office is a mom who's working for us on a voluntary basis. So we are very committed to helping moms. Please go on our website and click donate and even $5 makes a difference for us. Yes, and if you're watching this later on YouTube or Facebook, we'll put the link in the description box. So it's really easy to click, you should always check that out. So Simona, last thing, what's your ideal here? 10, 20 years from now, what does it look like where you think, oh my God, we did it? So I think it's very important to say that I am helping moms, but we have to help everyone to diversify Congress. We have to elect candidates who are in touch with what it means to raise a family today. And we have to elect Americans who know what working families face, what working families face each day. I want Congress to look like the rest of America, and that's my goal. All right, Simona Grace, Moms in Office. Please, everybody check it out, doing really important work. And if you want that voice represented, it's so important for issues like paid parental leave, family leave. That voice needs to be amplified so that it could be represented in Congress. And unfortunately, it's got a very small representation in Congress right now. Simona, thanks so much for joining us, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me.